God is good. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. We are in Eastertide, uh, which is a great time of year. And how am I doing? Can you hear me? Okay. Just want to make sure. Last week was freedom for Easter Sunday. We were here for freedom. And the interesting thing about freedom is that's not the end of the story. That's just the catapult that begins the story, right? So a lot goes into Easter uh, time and Lent in particular to celebrate Easter Sunday. And now we're in Eastertide for the next, this week and six more. And Tim did a great job of explaining that to us. And uh, we even saw it through the music. I'm so grateful, I have to say. Uh, for our whole, so many people have just done so much to make this whole season remarkably memorable, right? So thank you to all those who have, in fact, done that. And as we begin a new series today, we're going to uh, take a look at Luke, the whole gospel of Luke, not that Luke that was up here earlier, uh, but Luke, the gospel of Luke, beginning to end. So I invite you, to, as always, to bring your Bibles each week. We're going to we're going to take a look at this uh, really all the way through, and uh, this morning uh, we start this new series called Go. Freedom from what was oppression is just the beginning, but the beginning of what? Well, the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, so we're going to live into that and learn what that means. In the top left corner there, there's a, there's a pair of tiny little infant shoes, those always crack me up. Um, because they're so small. Anyway, if you have shoes of your own that you'd like to bring and put up here as a symbol of your commitment to as the Holy Spirit leads, go ahead and do that, and let's see how uh, these fill in. Uh, make sure you wash them before you bring them to the sanctuary. That'd be, that would be greatly appreciated. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 1. Read all the way through the first 38 verses. Big chunks of this upon occasion, and today. One, verse 1, the word of God. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were, here we go, listen, eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. Therefore, since I myself, this is Luke, probably a doctor, probably a historian, Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account. So Luke is telling us why he's writing this. He wants to write an orderly account as a leave behind. And he's writing it to most excellent Theophilus, which could be a Roman authority, or it could also be a new convert to Christianity. You can take your pick. Uh, either way, he's writing this probably as a catechism, as a leave-behind for those that follow in the faith. So that you may know, and check this out, the certainty of the things you have been taught. Verse 5, he begins. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named, you know, there's a lot of names here. Find your name in this list. There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, 
because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. So he was a priest. They had no children. You need to understand uh, the cultural shame inherent in no children, no birthright, in a culture that was all about that. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, in other words, he was one of about 18,000 priests of the day, and once throughout his entire lifetime, he only got one time when he could go into the Holy of Holies, that's going to happen today. So this was a very significant moment in the life of Zechariah the priest. When his division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled. And he was gripped with fear. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid. No temas. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John, which will later be John the Baptist. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife, well, she is well along in years. The angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he'd stayed so long in the temple. Well, he had a little conversation. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision inside the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion, the Lord has done this for me, she says. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. All right, you're doing good. Hang in there. One more text. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, same angel, different place, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. 
The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary, she was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, check this out, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin... The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, to be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age, old age. And she who was said to be barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left. The reading of God's word. Let's pray, shall we? A hearty text, familiar to all. Forgive us of the ways in which we allow the familiarity of your words that we are so lucky to have written down. Be held at bay and not allowed to be anything more than words in a book. Challenge us with your provocations this day. Freedom is only the beginning. We are called to go. Until we go. Until we go. We remain frozen. Teach us to go, God, were the words of a doctor years ago. In your name we pray. Amen. So there was a doctor and a lawyer. They were at a dinner party. You know where this is going, don't you? There was a doctor and a lawyer, and they were at a dinner party trying to have a conversation with each other. And uh, I've actually even done this myself. Perhaps some of you have. Doctor started to grow a little bit more impatient with everybody coming up to him and asking him for medical advice. Right? Hey, you know, I got this little, I got this rash. After about an hour of trying to have a conversation, doctor and lawyer, lawyer and doctor, and I know we have both doctors and lawyers, so don't get any ideas with this story. Doctor turned to the lawyer and said, you know, I, I, I'm trying to have a conversation with you. How do I get people to just stop asking me for free medical advice when I'm out on my own time? Lawyer says, I don't even, I don't even try to get them to stop. I just answer their question, and I send them a bill. <laughs> lawyer says, you ought to do the same thing. Doctor says, hmm, it's kind of against the, my nature, but I'm going to give it a try. The next day, the doctor put together... Nice little invoices for everybody that came up and asked him questions, medical questions. And he spent almost the whole day putting this together. Two days later, he went to the mailbox with everything impeccably done, sending out his invoices to all those that asked for impromptu advice. 
And he went to the mailbox, and he opened his mailbox up, and he, put, he took the mail out, put the mail in, and as he was walking back into his house, he realized there was a bill from the lawyer. <laughs> so anyway, if you're a lawyer, there's a way to add more hours, I suppose. So we're not going to get a bill from the doctor today, Dr. Luke, but we do have a letter that he's left behind, and we get a chance to lean into it and look into it as a community and as people of faith. More often than not, I think part of the problem in the church today uh, has been we've made it all about freedom, and freedom is just the beginning of the next chapter of the story. We're called to go. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we do that? Right? In order to go, I think we have to answer at least, at the very least, a reluctant yes to each of these four questions that the doctor poses to us. Now, how many of us have been to the doctor's office? You like going? White coat syndrome, blood pressure goes up. Boy, that pressure's a little bit high. Well, I wonder why. And when they tell you to go to the doctor's office, what is the one thing that you're supposed to do? Write your questions down and bring your list of questions, right? Today, that is going to be reversed. The doctor's going to ask us four questions, and we have to answer at least a reluctant yes to be poised and ready to go. Questions like this. Do you trust this story? Do you trust this story? That's, that's the first question. Notice what Luke does at the very beginning. This was very common back then uh, to sit down and write a treatise that was authoritative and it would be preambled with this kind of language. Luke is trying to put together a trustworthy and true story for us. So in order to go, we have to answer this question. Do you trust the story at least somewhat, at least a little bit? At least a tiny bit? And it can be a reluctant yes, trust me, my friends. There's got to be something in there that we can trust. Luke is writing the story so that we may know the certainty of the things that we have been taught. And it's going to be handed down from witnesses who have carefully investigated this orderly account. So to get ready to go, because we've been freed through Jesus Christ, death, resurrection, ascension, and return, we have to say at least a reluctant yes. You know what? There's something about this story that might be worth leaning into. Even though I'm old and or older and sophisticated, slightly cynical and jaded, perhaps even a bit cranky something in this story that still resonates with our heart like the kids sang about earlier that's the first question question number two ready second question the doctor asked us when we go to his office today is do you believe God can use ordinary people I mean the, the cool thing about this story is notice all the folks Zachariah Elizabeth John Mary, a teenager, teenager. Joseph doesn't come into the story till later. These are just ordinary Joes and Joannas. Sorry. I figured I'm safe if I call you out. These are just ordinary folks like you, like Joanne, Garrett, Greg, Grandpa Greg, G Paul. Is that what you're going with now? Because there's a lot of stress to figure out what you want them to call you. I do not know where this came from. 
I do not understand it. I don't really care. There's room for you in this story because God uses ordinary folks. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how tall or short or other things. Skinny or not, you might be. God uses just simple and ordinary folks to do those types of things that are extraordinary. We've got to be careful about the thin slicing that we do when we look at people and we say, well, that person's not trustworthy and true. God can't certainly use that person. How's that possible? You ever done anything like that before, by the way? Great little story uh, that I came across earlier this week. There was an owner of a large factory who decided to make a surprise visit and check in on his co-workers, his projects. He walked through his plant, and he noticed a young man kind of lazily leaning up against a post. Didn't really look like he belonged there. He angrily walked up to the young man, who was seemingly out of place, just kind of hanging out, seemingly lazy. He asked the young man, how much do you get paid a week, young man? The guy said, about 300 bucks. Owner of the plant pulled out his wallet, counted out $300, and gave it to him and said, now get out of here, I never want to see you again. A bit surprised, the young man kind of walked away. Turning to one of his supervisors, the owner asked, how long has that lazy bum been working here? Supervisor said, you know, as actually, he's, he's not an employee, sir. sir. He was just here to deliver the pizza. <laughs> I mean, right? God uses ordinary people regardless of what we do or don't think about them. Regardless of what the anger inside of us, God still uses ordinary people. And he can use ordinary people like you. So can you answer at least a reluctant yes to the question? Do you believe God can use ordinary folks to do extraordinary things? Yeah. That's how you move from freedom to actually go. Third question, ready? This is a great one. Are you afraid to go? I mean, are you afraid to go? I mean, it's safe to come in here once a week and kind of do the things we do. Right? It's safe. It's comfortable. We've spent a lot of money making it safe and comfortable. But this isn't church. Church is what happens out there. It's just a gathering to worship, you know? So I, I can answer, yeah, I'm definitely a little bit afraid. I like it when people like you. I like it when people like me. I don't want to be laughed at or scoffed at or told I'm dumb. Anybody here afraid? I mean, the fascinating thing about the story is the main characters all the way through, they're afraid. They're startled. Actually, the Zechariah was startled. I think I'd be startled too. I mean, think about it. He's going into church to do the stuff that he does all the time, and he gets startled in his sanctuary when an angelic being shows up. Here's a guy that would, at least you would think, would anticipate something like that. Right? You would think a guy that's been faithful his entire life, putting on shows every Sunday, would be thinking about stuff that would happen outside of the lines of what's printed. And he's startled when it happens. Cracks me up. It's totally, it's totally believable. 
And he says it's afraid. Or scriptures say he's afraid. Mary similarly. I'm afraid. I'm just afraid. So Zach, he was startled and gripped with fear. Beth, the good thing about Elizabeth was at least it took away her fearful, her fearful disgrace. Mary was greatly troubled and afraid. So this notion of being afraid doesn't come naturally to us oftentimes. <laughs> it, really, it really doesn't. It's part of the human condition. I mean, if these folks are startled and gripped with fear, whew, takes a little bit of the pressure off. I know I am sometimes too. That's the best place to be, though, a little bit apprehensive. Because then faith in the Spirit of God can take over, right? Give us the right words to say in the right moment in the right way. I mean, after all, God doesn't call those who are fully equipped. God always equips those God calls. That's tweetable, by the way. Tim, get on that. Yes. That's the third question. Are you afraid? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. One other question? Well, you're going to get it anyway. It's, you know, fourth question. Are you willing to be used by God as you go? Even in the midst of Zechariah's imperfections and his unbelief, in the midst of being in the sanctuary, <laughs> doing this his entire life. When he walked outside and he couldn't speak, people knew that he had seen something extraordinary, still used by God. Isn't that cool? It's still used by God. Even made a mistake. Okay, you can still be used. By God, you, you can't speak for a while. His wife's like, yes. <laughs> Beth, Elizabeth says, the Lord has done this for me. And Mary, you got to love Mary, right? Probably the age of some of these kids. Probably the age of some of these kids. What? Mary says, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. No thing. Zero. Not a zilch. May it be to me as you have said, says Mary. So freedom is just the beginning of the story. We oftentimes make it the end all be all, but that just gets us to the starting line, you know? Gets us to the starting line. But where are we called to go? Well, outside, out there. <laughs> and we're going to explore what that looks like all the way through Luke's gospel because he's masterful at it. And he blends together spiritual needs of people with the whole physical needs of people, and he, and he brings those together. He doesn't separate the two. It's, a, it's just a beautiful synergy 
of the things that we all too often in the church compartmentalize. And we either focus on the spiritual at the expense of the physical or we focus on the physical at the expense of the spiritual. And what Luke does is Luke brings both of those worlds together and says, I'll show you how to go and do that together as God's unique and peculiar and called out people. That's the purpose of being and doing church, to go, not to sit. This is where the journey gets exciting. So can you answer at least a reluctant yes to these four questions? Thank you, reluctantly. Can you say with Mary, may it be to me as you have said? May it be to us as you have said. If you can, at least say a reluctant yes. And notice, I'm not asking for, yeah. I'm just asking for, maybe, yeah. Let's give it a shot. I'm good with that. It's all good. There was a little boy who wouldn't settle down during church. And uh, this would never happen here, by the way. This never happened to us. There was a little child that wouldn't settle down in church. You know, the kind of kicking the row in front of them the whole time. Ever? We've been on airplanes like that. Kicking the, you know, kicking the row, taking the books out, throwing them on the floor, climbing on it, right? This kind of thing. Parents, the parents, right? Parents. God love us. Doing everything they can. Most, you know, because you're, if you're five or six rows away, you don't notice it, unless you're the parent. Then you think everybody notices this, this human, right? So it was one of those kind of moments, and things were escalating. Dad finally had enough when, it, when his boy pulled the hair of the woman in front of him. <laughs> Grabbed him, put him over his shoulder, and started walking down the center aisle. Pastor was preaching, doing the thing that he does, you know, not getting too startled. Didn't miss a beat, the pastor did. They, the father opened the door, kicked it open in the back. Everybody was great until the kid yelled out in service, y'all pray for me. Right? <laughs> How awesome is that? And we experienced a little bit of that earlier, right? I'm going to go with mom. So what I'd like to do right now is I'm gonna, I'd like to just pray for you all. You didn't do anything wrong. But the journey begins. After freedom. Freedom's not the end of the game. It gets us to the start line. And then we go. We're going to explore together over the months to come through Luke's gospel. What does it mean to go together? Because the church is the hope for the world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the church of Jesus Christ is the hope for the world? Because if you don't, why are we here?
I'm going to pray for y'all. Let's pray. There's one person in this place that doesn't need a little prayer, so God would pray for all of us. We're going to pray for y'all. Pray for me and my friends, acquaintances, folks I've known here for a long time, folks I've seen here but not really had a significant conversation, folks that listen to us on Facebook probably right now, folks that have tasted and seen our ministries here over the last months, Church is not about a building. Church is people living out the call of God as they go about their life, whether it's a doctor or a lawyer or a pastor or a city manager or a teacher or a nurse or an educator or somebody that works with students or somebody that works with older and mature adults. The list is long and large because you're a God of great creativity and imagination. We accept the challenge to go. We answer a reluctant yes to these four questions. We need prayer to light a fire under our feet. Inspire, transform, Provoke, mobilize, and send your church to the world. Because your church and ultimately you are the hope of the world. And we, at least with a reluctant yes, say we believe it. May it be so in your name. Amen. Thank you. I know it was one of my better moments. Thank you very much. We got a great